Welcome to ING's Think Aloud with me, Rebecca Byrne. In today's episode, the COP27 climate summit in Egypt was supposed to be the moment when governments turned lofty aspirations into real world action, implementing the climate pledges made in Glasgow last year. Instead, meaningful progress on critical issues has stalled, with some countries even being accused of backsliding on their original commitments. While Presidents Biden and Xi offered some relief this week by agreeing to resume talks on climate change, COP27 itself has done little to assuage fears that the world is heading for what the UN calls climate catastrophe. Still, ING economist Herbin Heiminger and ESG researcher Coco Zhang say divisions are to be expected given the number of countries involved and the scale of the problem. They say COP meetings are worthwhile events that keep climate change at the top of the global agenda. Herbin, climate activists were pretty sceptical about this summit before it even got started. Um, Greta Thunberg, of course, skipped it, calling it a forum for greenwashing. Others have said it's turned into an oil and gas trade show. And we've heard terms like gridlock, division, backsliding. What's been your overall impression of it? Yes, indeed, there was quite some uh, skepticism and some of it might be justified, but there are good reasons for organizing these type of COP events, uh, because after all, climate change can be seen as one of the biggest coordination problems in the world, as over 195 countries have to align their climate policies to uh, meet a single global goal of the rise in temperature. And that can only be done if countries meet each other. Uh, and that's typically done in these type of conferences. Uh, so there is a room for some skeptical about these meetings, uh, but from a climate perspective, it really makes sense. And there are also other reasons. Uh, world leaders now meet in times of strong geopolitical tensions. And the lunches they have, the dinners they have, and the talks in the corridors might also help to ease those. Right. So it's a very complicated uh, process. Coco, days before this summit, the UN put out a report saying that current pledges made by individual countries will likely result in a 2.4 to 2.6 degrees Celsius increase in global temperatures by the year 2100. That, of course, is well above the Paris Agreement's one and a half degree goal. You might have thought that would galvanize support, um, but there have been reports that some countries actually want to water down that one and a half degree commitment. What's the state of play on this? Yeah, you're right. So this gloomy outlook of global warming really emphasizes the urgency to act, but it has not really incentivized many governments to strengthen their climate targets. And why is that? So first, COP26, uh, which happened last year, was all about ambition, where more and more governments are committed to net zero emissions targets. But COP27 is more focused on implementing the COP26 targets. And second, because of the ongoing global energy crisis, there is a tendency for the countries to prioritize at least short-term energy security over climate urgency. And indeed, only 28 countries have submitted a updated nationally determined contribution so far. But the positive side is that um, the language of keeping global warming within 1.5 degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels is indeed included in the first draft of COP27's overarching decision. And that's a good sign of countries still wanting to keep 
the Paris Agreement goes together and let's just hope that um, this will be included in the final decision as well. Yes, indeed. And if you zoom out a bit more, I, I, after the COP21 meeting in, in Paris, I was not so optimistic, especially the years after. But now when I look back after a couple of years, I really see that uh, a lot of progress has been made. Eh? I can recall the first uh, estimates of uh, global warming uh, after the COP in uh, in Paris, and they pointed to a temperature rise of four degrees, and that has now come down to about 2.5 degrees. That's still a long way from the 1.5 degrees goal, but still it has come down in only a couple of years. So if countries really are determined to do more, and I see great progress there in in Europe and the US, for example. Uh, uh, then I wouldn't be surprised that the forecast for global warming will be reduced further in the coming years. Yeah, we do need those COP conferences to actually keep um, countries together discussing how we might be able to move forward. You sound pretty optimistic, both of you, which is which is good news. Um, but Herman, last year, people were disappointed because the final text of COP26 talked about phasing down coal rather than phasing it out. But since then, we've been phasing it up because of the war in Ukraine and, and subsequent energy crisis. Aren't we going backwards? Yeah, I find this a really interesting question and it shows that there are simply uh, more goals for that global energy system. Uh, we, know, we not only want a sustainable energy system, but we also want it to be secure and affordable. And the use of coal has increased again as the gas supply is now under pressure globally. Um, so clearly China and India are by far the world's biggest coal user and they have played the security and affordability argument quite strongly in the last year. Let's hope that will be uh, short-lived and I think it will. The US and the EU are actually taking big steps to increase, for example, the supply of renewables. And also the International Energy Agency recently concluded in its latest World Energy Outlook that the coal demand will peak in this uh, decade. And as an economist, I'm not against the use of coal, but I strongly uh, uh, am against the use of unabated coal. Uh, there are good and cheap technologies available that reduce the emissions from coal use in the power sector and manufacturing uh, by about 80% very easily and also uh, quite cheaply. So we simply need to apply capture uh, to capture those emissions and store the carbon uh, from these chimneys. Uh, and that can be done by CCS. And in my view, CCS is a no-brainer to rapidly reduce the carbon emissions and a practical application of the COP26 outcome that talks about phasing down the use of unabated coal, not the use of coal entirely. Coco, one of the most controversial topics this year has been the issue of loss and damage, where rich countries, uh, which have been the biggest emitters, provide compensation to the developing world, which has been feeling the worst effects of climate change. Has there been any progress on this? So the progress on this has been slow. 
So far, negotiations on the topic have been hindered by disagreements between developing and developed countries. Just on Monday, the UN published a draft proposing either to launch a two-year process to establish a funding mechanism to compensate for loss and damage, or to delay the discussion on what the UN's role would be until 2023. But developing countries, including China, have requested a lost and damaged fund be established here at COP27. But this could discourage commitment from developed countries, as putting money in a fund could pose a liability to donors in the event that the fund turns out to be insufficient. And there are reasons to believe that the funding will be insufficient. Uh, because a recent report shows that about $2 trillion per year of investment will be needed by developing countries by 2030 to fight climate change, and half of it will, come, uh, will have to come from external financing. And therefore, the current $100 billion per year of funding target from developed countries is only a start. And a coordinated mechanism will be needed to be in place for global climate financing to work. Herbin, another area of discussion has been the development of carbon markets and how countries can work together to meet their climate goals. But progress has been pretty slow here as well, right? Yes, the development of a more global carbon market has been slow indeed and also very hard. It took over 26 uh, COPs uh, to come to an agreement of strengthening international carbon markets and carbon trading. The so-called Article 6 agreement of last year's COP in Glasgow. But this year's COP has been often called an implementation COP, in which the details of Article 6 need to be worked out. Think of policies to secure the credibility of carbon credits, ways to deal with unauthorized credits, and also whether or not to include the so-called avoided emissions. And obviously, the devil is still in the details of this COP. And so far, discussions on Article 6 have been advancing slowly. Yet we could still expect some final decisions to be made towards the COP ending. I would not be surprised as Article 6 is not as controversial as some of the other issues at COP27. And important decisions are mostly taken under pressure and inside of the finish line. I sincerely hope there will be a breakthrough. Uh, as Article 6 can really help to direct capital flows from the developed world to the countries that are most affected by climate change. Herben, oil and gas companies were asked to participate in this year's COP for the first time, and there was concern that they might use it as a platform to lobby and to hold back more ambitious climate action. What's your view on their inclusion in the summit this year? Yeah, that is a very controversial topic, and especially among the climate activists and, uh, and NGOs. But as an economist, I see few ways um, uh, in making the transition without the major oil and gas companies. And there are also good reasons for it. Uh, first of all, around 80% of the global energy system is still based on fossil fuels. You simply cannot neglect the part from a sustainability perspective, as that causes problems with energy security and affordability. 
And second, uh, we need to strongly reduce the use of unabated coal and gas use. So we need these oil and gas companies to massively apply the carbon and capture storage to their facilities, a topic we uh, addressed shortly. Mm. And thirdly, the oil and gas uh, majors are also very big players in the renewable energy sphere. You simply need strong balance sheet and credit ratings in order to mobilize the billions of investments to make the transition. And that can be done by these players. So as an economist, I very welcome them to the table, but indeed they should not slow down the progress. And I believe that the climate activists will play their role there. Coco, there have been some bilateral agreements made uh, sort of on the sidelines of COP27. Most importantly, perhaps President Biden and China's President Xi have agreed to cooperate on climate change. How significant is that? So, yeah, it is significant in the sense that because the U.S. and China are the world's two largest economies and emitters, the agreement between the two countries will really give a boost to global efforts to combat climate change. So last year at COP26, the U.S. and China made a joint announcement to enhance climate action in the 2020s through, among others, accelerating green and low carbon transition and climate technology innovation. So resuming the climate talks really means that these commitments will now be carried on again. And at the same time, resuming those talks is also expected to boost negotiation at COP27. But this is not something that should be taken for granted because it is true that collaboration among the two countries can potentially lead to an agreement on funding for loss and damage. But we need to keep in mind that the two countries are divided on the topic themselves and any advancement on the discussion will need compromise from both developing and developed countries. Poco, after COP27, what are the next steps and how hopeful are you that meaningful progress can be made over the coming year? Yeah, so there's COP28, which will be held in Dubai next year. And at COP28, we will get the results of the first major stock taking on the Paris Agreement. This is a process for taking stock of the implementation of the Paris Agreement, and it will be important in keeping track of countries' actions against targets and enhancing incremental efforts to curb emissions. And additionally, for topics such as loss and damage and Article 6, they are long-term negotiation processes that will be extended to COP28 and even COP29. The agenda and discussions in the coming years will largely depend on how successful COP27 goals. And we've seen a lot of difficulties in discussion in COP27, but I would say that I stay cautiously optimistic that the conference will land on decisions that will move global climate actions forward. Coco Zhang and Herben Heiminger, thank you so much. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation, nor is it investment, legal or tax advice or an offer of solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at 
think.ing.com slash content dash disclaimer.